This is Chad. Seth Shore, CEO of Fifth Street Gaming. Welcome to the Vegas Game Podcast. Hi, Hunter. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's our, it's our pleasure. Um, you know, we've got a bunch of stuff that we want to talk to you about today. You've had uh, a very interesting career so far, and you're just getting started. Um, so we're probably going to jump around a little bit, if that's okay. Um, but I just want to start off right at the top. Uh, when did you know that you wanted to go into the hospitality business? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, I don't remember a time that I didn't want to be in the hospitality business. Um, I guess, you know, most specifically when I moved to Las Vegas uh, nearly 30 years ago and lived at the Golden Nugget uh, and watched uh, my dad in action and Mr. Wynn and a lot of the old timers, uh, I knew very clearly that that was the business for me. Yeah, and we're definitely. I definitely want to get some um, perspective from you on what it was like growing up, uh, basically growing up in a casino downtown, and what that must have been like um, with uh, you know your dad being Steve Wynn's right hand man and watching basically Mister Wynn build his entire empire before your eyes. It must have been pretty amazing. Uh, we'll definitely get to that in a minute. Um, but let's sort of jump fast forward into the future for a second. And what are you doing now? Uh, right now, my focus uh, as CEO of Downtown Brand uh, is fully focused on uh, creating uh, that business. Uh, so we're focused on, on Downtown Las Vegas. Uh, as you probably know, we just opened uh, on November 12th, so we're only in our second month of operation. And it's an expanding project. We have a restaurant opening actually next week and a major outdoor uh, venue opening uh, in the spring, and a big uh, retail project across the street. Uh, so it's certainly an ongoing development, which will, will certainly take uh, my focus for the near future. As far as uh, you guys, I think uh, your official opening date was uh, 11, 12, 13, if I'm correct. And you had a little bit of a soft opening before that to make sure the, the machine was humming properly. Um, I, you know, I don't expect you to uh, divulge detailed financials in this interview, but uh, how are things going so far? Um, sure. So uh, things are going very well. Um, most importantly, when we open a new property, uh, we look to the guest reaction, and we've had an overwhelming positive reaction to the facility. Um, and what I mean by that is most people find it comfortable, intimate, they like the flow and the animation. And those are things that I'm very glad because if they didn't, it would be hard to change at this point. <laughs> um, now, can I tell you, everybody likes every entree at every restaurant? Of course not. And those are things that we'll always be improving upon. Um, there's certainly plenty of things to improve upon, but I'm glad that we at least got, um, I say at least, uh, I'm glad that we got uh, the development right and built something that most people find unique and authentic and just different enough that makes it a little more interesting uh, than, you know, the joint down the street. So that was our goal. Uh, I feel we succeeded and reached that goal. Um, you know, it's a very uh, slow time of year, so I'm not going to tell you we're uh, sold out tonight. Uh, I don't think there's a property in town that is, uh, but that's not a bad way to uh, work out the kinks. Right. Uh, we have a very, very sophisticated hotel staff. I think half our 
executive staff uh, worked at the Four Seasons at some point. Wow. And so they're really uh, wrapping their arms around their guests. So the guests that are staying with us are getting phenomenal service. And as we do have glitches, and of course they happen in the first month, uh, TV doesn't work, a thermostat doesn't work, all, all normal things when you have a new building, um, we're able to recover and, and put our arms around, wrap our arms around those guests uh, in an overwhelming way. So the, the first month's been great. That's good to hear. I wouldn't feel too bad about glitches. I think every casino <laughs> opening I've ever been to has been plagued with malfunctions, some small and some insanely not small. Um, that's just sort of the way <laughs> things go. Um, I, you know, as far as the downtown market and uh, how you guys fit in, I mean, I, you know, I think if you were to rewind a few years um, and ask folks about downtown, uh, I think most would say that the Golden Nugget was sort of the runaway king of the hill, and then there were some other properties that competed for the folks that didn't want to or couldn't afford to stay at the Nugget. Um, but in the last few years, we've seen you know a bunch of new operators come into the downtown market and doing some different things and people doing some refurbishments of existing buildings and um, and a bunch of changes. So I'm curious where you see downtown Grand fitting into that market. Um, yeah, that's a great question, and I, I think uh, you've got it right. Uh, you know, we want to complement the great hotels that exist today. You know, you name the Nugget, which, of course... Uh, is the jewel of, of downtown Las Vegas and what Derek Stevens has done at the D and uh, what Tamaris has done at the Plaza. And, you know, all of the properties play an important role on the holistic experience of downtown Las Vegas. And we plan to be additive to that experience. Um, I've been pretty vocal about my desire to push people out of our building and have them experience the rest of downtown Las Vegas and explore Fremont Street, both FSE and Fremont Street East, and go to the Smith Center and the Mom Museum and the Arts District and what have you. Um, I think that we do bring some unique characteristics uh, that don't necessarily exist today. Um, I think that uh, most certainly having uh, our street and our ability to program it um, in a unique way to say how Fremont Street is programmed, uh, bring something that's unique to downtown Las Vegas. Um, and I, I know that Picnic is going to be a game changer. I, I can't give you too many details because we're, um, it's going to be a big surprise, but we're going pretty big with that outdoor venue. It's, you know, part beer garden, part nightclub, part day club, part pool, part, it's, it's a bunch of things, uh, event venue, um, but I know it's, very different. There's nothing like it in downtown. Um, I'm wondering, so a, let's say we fast forward a year into the future, right? You guys have had some time to, uh, to operate for a bit. How will you gauge success? I mean, of course, there's financial success, right? You have, uh, the building has to cover its debt, debt service and whatnot, and you know, your financial partners want to make sure that they're happy. But I'm sure that there's more to it than that. How, how are you personally you know, you're investing a lot of time into this that you could be doing other things. How are you going to judge success? Well, I mean, I, it, it, you know, first and foremost, you said it, and it is important. Um, you know, <laughs> there will, you know, financially, it's important that we hit our targets and that, you know, our, our win per units are at the level that we expect. Um, so first and foremost, you know, we have to drive 
the business. And I think that our casino marketing program um, is already off to a great start. We've had almost, on average in November, um, I think 800 signups a day. So I think we had uh, 30,000 people sign up in the first month, which is pretty strong. Um, and over 60% of our slot revenue came from card players, which is also pretty strong in your first month. You know, our aspirational target is at um, 70%, which is uh, pretty high. So I think, um, you know, I want the business to be successful. But in addition to that, um, have, you know, creating 800 jobs and creating a unique culture is something that, we're working very uh, diligently on, and I will be very proud. And if in a year from now we've um, we, we've built that culture, which we are on our way to do, and and the, the uniqueness of our corporate culture, uh, which you know tends to be a little different than uh, the corporate culture of a giant strip property. Um, you know, we, we we like to to find ourselves uh, to be somewhere in between. You know, a true entrepreneurial, smaller mom-and-pop business and a corporate giant, you know, we find ourselves right there in the middle. And as I mentioned, we do have, and I'm not kidding, I think five of our managers and above came from, or directors and above came from the Four Seasons. So we're bringing, you know, a little bit of that culture, a little bit of the wind mirage culture, a little bit of the downtown culture, we're bringing um, all of these uh, quite different uh, experiences that our team has um, and creating something that, that's new and different. And, and already I know that our staff um, is finding it to be a very great place to work. That's good to hear. Dave, go ahead. Spe- yeah, speaking of the team, I'd like to talk about one of the other principals, uh, Jeffrey Fine who's involved in this and a lot of other projects. And I would just like to hear a little bit about what he brings into the t- to the table and how, you know, how uh, the company's drawing from his experiences. Uh, I'm so sorry you're breaking in and out, Hunter. Are you able to hear me? Can you hear me? We're hearing you fine. Did you, do you want me to re-ask the question? Yeah, it's only hey, one, No problem. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, so I was, uh, yeah, I'm um, speaking to the team. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Jeffrey Fine who okay. obviously has a ton of experience around town and is involved in a lot of projects. I'd like to talk a little bit about what he brings to the, you know, to the team and uh, kind of what all the personalities are and how, how, how it runs. That's a great question. So uh, Jeff and I have now been partners for, uh, I think, almost four years and uh, friends for, for nearly 30. Um, Jeff is, you know, the best partner a guy can have, uh, and especially someone like myself, um, you know, Jeff actually uh, about seven years older than me, which is just enough years of uh, of, of experience that uh, he brings even you know some wisdom that that I uh, don't have. Um, and Jeff is such a unique, high level, strategic thinker involved in so many different types of businesses. You know, whether it's land and development, food and beverage, casino, um, it's just he has such a unique uh, outlook. Um, and he's not immersed uh, in the day-to-day operation of the facility, so he's also not, you know, to the forest through the trees. Um, so Jeff, uh, Jeff and I, uh, you know, we, we speak daily and meet a few times a week, um, but he's able to, um, you know, bring 
uh, a different perspective than I have and really um, bring some, some great uh, guidance and, you know, insight uh, as needed. But also lets me, lets me do my thing on a daily basis, which is, which is nice. It's, it's really, truly a perfect partnership. Great. I've got another question for you, just backing up a little bit. As a fellow Quaker, I'd uh, like to tell the, the audience that you graduated from Penn in 99, and you majored in Chinese studies. So I'd like you to tell me a little bit about why you chose that. Did you see that there was going to be a growth in the industry there? Because certainly most people didn't. And just uh, kind of interested about what you, you know, what you learned at Penn and, and how you're applying that to what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Um, go Quakers. Uh, so I, um, I had my first trip to Asia actually in 1990. Uh, I was a kid and my grandparents took me all over Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong, Tokyo. And I just fell in love with Asian culture in general. Um, in 91, I started studying Japanese in uh, high school and actually lived with a Japanese family for a summer. And by 94, I started studying Chinese uh, also in high school and then um, studied at Chinese and Chinese history um, at Penn uh, after that, uh, also living with a Chinese family and going to school in Beijing uh, for a summer, I think, in 95. So um, I've always just had an affinity uh, for Asia, China, and Japan. Um, by the time I um, graduated uh, Penn, um, I, I knew that, um, well, I guess it was really probably in 2000 when Macau was on everybody's radar, mm-hmm. uh, that there was definitely a, uh, a Chinese component, obviously. And I got to move to Macau in 2001, I think it was. It was there about 2001 to 2003. Um, my language skills didn't really help. And by no means am I uh, fluent, but mm-hmm. I speak Cantonese in Macau. And so the Mandarin that I do know uh, wasn't that helpful. But there's so much about the culture that, you know, I know and I've lived in and just um, have an appreciation for that I think it was helpful for me to, you know, be somewhat of an ambassador for the Wynn uh, Resorts Organization and the local uh, Chinese on the ground. Um, so it's, it's just, it's always played a part in my life. Um, it's been one of those consistent themes and, you know, fast forward to two years ago and, um, you know, some of my associates and I, including Jeffrey, uh, we started a travel company called Viva Tours, uh, which is you know, focused on bringing uh, tours from China to Las Vegas. And you know, we, we had many successful tours and we've you know, been modifying business uh, model over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's just been neat doing business, setting up a business in China, having staff in China. Uh, and the downtown brand has been partially financed by EV5, which is a financial mechanism where basically a foreign national invests in a project uh, which creates new jobs in exchange for a visa. Uh, can be from anywhere. It just happens to be a major focus on China for the last couple of years. Sure. Uh, so I spent, um, I was playing China four or five times last year uh, pitching the project. Um, and then, of course, downtown Grant has a pretty significant Chinese component. We have a restaurant, the Red Mansion, uh, Bakra Pit, and uh, we just hired some Chinese hosts. And so, you know, I, I don't, I, I guess it's um, all part of the plan, but I just, <laughs> I've always found that China's had a consistent place in my heart. 
I, I'm, you know, yeah. a bunch of our audience. Well, I don't know about a bunch. Some of our audience has uh, have visited Macau, but what I, what I'm hoping that you could tell us is. For those that haven't, for the average American tourist that comes to Las Vegas maybe a few times a year, maybe more than that, what is it like? I mean, I think, you know, they hear about Macau, they read about Macau as sort of, in sort of at least financially, the new gambling uh, center of the mm-hmm. universe. But uh, it's very different from Las Vegas in yeah. many ways. How, how would you describe yeah, it to for, somebody? For sure. And I feel really blessed that I got to see it in 2001. So I saw the end of what the old Macau was like, and I was there before, you know, even the Sands was opened, and there were no Western casinos, and the Grand Lisboa was the nicest <laughs> property, if you can use nice as an adjective, with this place that the carpet hadn't been changed since 1976, they stood on the ground, and, you know, why would you? You have no competition, and they, and, you know, that on But the, the air filtration, the air filtration yeah. <laughs> system was so, was so great, though. Right, right. But in all, in all seriousness, um, Macau, the cultural destination is phenomenal. Uh, most people don't know that it was a Portuguese colony for 500 years. I mean, just think about that twice the, you know, uh, age of America, right? And I mean, so the Macanese population has its own culture. And uh, many people don't realize that Macanese is its, you know, uh, own ethnicity and doesn't necessarily mean that your mom is Chinese and your dad is Portuguese, but, um, you know, it, it's actually a, a culture that um, was w- just evolved over hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, the buildings in Macau are beautiful. These, these old Portuguese buildings from the 16th century. Um, you know, St. Paul's Ruins is the uh, oldest uh, church in Asia. And, and really, Macau was the gateway to China, uh, you know, before the mid-19th century when steam engines were created and ports had to be deeper and Hong Kong was, was created. But before that, for hundreds of years, uh, it was the gateway to China. So it has an amazing, amazing history. Uh, the Macanese people are generally incredibly friendly. Um, it's kind of interesting to me that the Portuguese culture still exists, even though I don't think there's a single Portuguese person in Macau. Um, but, you know, they, they, uh, it's, it's a very, very unique place. Um, over the last 10 years, it's certainly changed uh, with... Uh, the Western casinos, you know, mostly American, but of course the Australians are there uh, in, 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 you know, very aggressively as well. Um, and these casinos that are being built are, are somewhat unique to the Las Vegas casinos. I mean, they're certainly as large, if not in many cases larger, uh, but they're different, right? A lot of the amenities didn't exist. They're starting to, but originally there's no showrooms and right. the spas weren't <laughs> important. All the things that have evolved in Vegas, but, but that, that's changed over the last couple of years. Um, and probably the neatest thing for, for those that, uh, you know, are casino uh, lovers is, is the first thing you notice is just the, the flip-flop of the uh, real estate that's given to table games right. instead of slot machines, <laughs> right? I mean, now all of a sudden you have, you know, more slot machines, I'm sorry, more table games than slot machines. I think the Venetian has like 400 table games and um, that, it's pretty interesting to see a casino with three or four times the amount of table games in a, you know, large casino like, uh, like Wynn here in Las Vegas. So it's, it's, Macau's great. Um, and the food's great. Love, uh, love the Portuguese sausage and, uh, the African chicken and all the great things that the, the Portuguese, uh, brought to, brought to China. Excellent. Um, I would love to, uh, to zoom back to, uh, to Las Vegas for a little bit and, 
um, ask a few questions about the process of development and designing of Downtown Grand. Um, specifically, I guess to start, uh, you know, during the development process, I'm wondering if there's anything that ended up being harder or more difficult than you anticipated? I mean, oftentimes we've got, we've got a great idea and then we go to do it and it <laughs> ends up being a little bit more involved than we thought. Um, anything like that, especially when you're working with a building that already exists, right? It's not a greenfield yeah. project. You have to work within at least you know, some framework. Um, anything in particular that stands out that, uh, that was a bit of a challenge? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. No, there were um, certainly uh, plenty of, uh, of challenges. And I think to your comment earlier that um, you know, the execution of any idea is often more challenging than the vision that one may have. And sometimes it's actually in the very uh, small, small ideas that are just um, harder to execute. But in terms of development, you know, I, we are very lucky that you know, CIM has a major, major development arm, and um, they had boots on the ground overseeing the general contractors, a, a very sophisticated uh, team of people, um, and, you know, I was in a position where I got to have a great influence on how the property's programmed and designed and what goes where and what restaurants and the look and feel, uh, without having to, of course, oversee, uh, the actual construction, uh, nor do I have the experience to do that. Um, so I, I definitely don't want to take away from the you know, huge difficulty and constant, um, uh, challenges that one faces in any uh, construction project. Um, you know, we're we're certainly uh, continuing to improve the building. We're about to go through a major uh, elevator modernization program. Um, you know, we uh, we brought in an escalator and had to build a building just to house this escalator, which was really built to help the flow of. Of, of visitors and guests uh, to get over the third floor. Uh, it's not easy bringing in a prefabricated pool and sticking it on top of your casino. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that was a huge challenge. Um, we, our, our essential plant was, um, oh God, I'm going to get this wrong. It was either, it was built in New Mexico, uh, and brought over on a truck and, um, to put it together and this, this whole central plant in a box, which is very, very unique. Um, you know, we, uh, we're, we're right now actually having a last minute change of plans, which I'm incredibly excited about. I know you guys are familiar. I'm sure some of your listeners have visited the property, but, um, uh, we, we, the project owns two garages. Uh, one is on Ogden and third and it's the garage that we've been using for years. Um, and the second garage is the Casino Center garage, or currently the Binion's garage. Right. We just um, uh, we just got ownership of that in the last few weeks. Well, it was our plan to have the Ogden garage, the one that's closer to the Portica Share, be the valet garage. Um, the logic was it'll quicker to valet, and therefore the wait times with you know for your car will be right. sure. really uh, de minimis and. And the Ogden, uh, the casino center garage would be your, your self parking garage. And we were going to somehow build this yellow brick road in, you know, to the <laughs> casino. Well, let's face it, at the end of the day, that was a little harder to do. And, you know, I saw the walk that one would have to, uh, take to go from the casino center to garage to the casino. And I said, that's just too far for a local Las Vegan who's used to incredibly, uh, convenient self parking. Right. And, um, so we made the last minute switch. 
the Allerton Garage and Avenue Shell Parking, which is right across the street, easy, you know, hop right into the casino, and the casino center garage will be for a ballet. We've already designed a system with radios where your car is called over, so it could still be a, you know, quick time. There might be a little inefficiency. I might have to hire a couple extra ballet guys, but I'd rather do that. And, um, you know, we believe that the Las Vegas local market is incredibly important to the project. Uh, so we want to do everything to make their experience as good as it could be. Sounds like that makes sense. Um, I, you know, typically on this show, we, we have another co-host who couldn't be with us tonight, um, Mr. Chuck. But he actually did send me a question that he wanted me to ask you. And uh, I, I actually have to read it verbatim because if, if you know Chuck, he's, uh, he's a bit of a wordsmith. And it, it just won't make any sense unless I actually just read this question word okay. for word. So there's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of background here, so bear with me. Um, uh, the composer Brahms waited till he was 40 years old to begin writing symphonies. He wrote only four in his lifetime. He waited not because of a lack of ideas or time spent developing the writer's craft, but because of his fear and respect of the greatest symphonic composer of all time, Ludwig von Beethoven. Brahms kept a statue of Beethoven on his desk and often spent hours peering into the eyes of his hero's effigy, asking himself the same question which I, Chuck, would like to ask you, Seth. Who is Seth Shore, and what makes a Seth Shore resort different from a Steve Wynn masterpiece? <laughs> That's uh, a very well-worded Question. That's the best That's question that. ever. I wish somebody would ask me a question like that. Well, I, I feel like I need to go to my desk and articulate the response and write it and give it some. Uh, I don't think my uh, reaction is going to be thoughtful enough. Uh, um, no, I. You know, I. I, um, I first of all, am, am humbled to even be uh, my name to even be in the same sentence as Mister Wynn. I've been lucky to just be a fly on the wall and observe his brilliance, um, his development brilliance, his vision, um, all of which I hope to one day have 10% of and, and I'll feel um, incredibly accomplished. Um, you know, that, that, that said, I think uh, the project that we're developing and even the, um, even the small hotels and casinos that I've had the opportunity to run over the last seven years uh, I guess I've gotten to put my own personality and personal touch into the project. Uh, sometimes that was simply in the way that I engaged our employees. Um, other, you know, other times it was in how I was able to build relationships with our neighbors and integrate with downtown Las Vegas in the case of, of downtown. Um, but even that, even being a personality and interfacing with the guest is something that I learned uh, from Steve Wynn and, and watched him do my whole life and, and you know, watched my, my father do as well. Um, so uh, I don't know if that answers your question, Chuck. Um, maybe <laughs> the better answer is uh, I'm not 40 yet. So uh, in the case of Brom, I still got a couple of years <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I'm sure he'll like that answer. Um, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about downtown in general and just sort of where it's going. Uh, and, you know, we've seen in the last few years, you mentioned up top, uh, you know, Derek Stevens. Obviously, you and, um, and, your, and your folks and uh, the, Mr. Fertitta over at the Nugget. I mean, there's some new operators that are now operating downtown. 
which is a change for the past few years. But I'm sort of wondering what your take is on what is happening downtown and what you think the downtown customer wants. Um, well, I think that the downtown customer... Is there more than one? Uh, I mean, who, what, what is the... Yeah, yeah, there, there is. Most, most certainly, right? I mean, and while we're focused on casino on this call, the fact of the matter is downtown over the last five to ten years, and really the last five, um, significantly has grown with a demographic that could care less about the casino, quite frankly, which is fine, um, which is actually a, a good thing. I don't think any city, whether it's downtown or even Las Vegas, um, you know, Las Vegas proper, should be a one-trick pony. Um, that's not interesting. And the fact that there are now major benefactors such as Tony Shea and Downtown Project or even just Zappos as an organization moving into City Hall and uh, in Amazon uh, is, a, is a great thing. It makes our city more interesting, more diverse. Um, I think that becomes more interesting for the tourist who is coming actually to gamble, uh, who is coming on their vacation. So, you know, for, for instance, you know, when I travel and I go to other cities, I like to go where the locals go. I like to see locals. I don't necessarily want to be in a tourist trap where I'm surrounded by other tourists. And I think that downtown Las Vegas is starting to become that. Uh, but there certainly are people with um, different desires. And I think that downtown is more eclectic today uh, than ever before. You know, our own internal marketing team uh, focuses on many different demos and, um, you know, even in our property, we've seen for years the guest at Triple George, you know, which is often made up of, um, a lot of locals from the legal community, city workers, or now over the past, um, year, we've seen this influx of a very high end guest that is dining with us before the Smith Center. And let's face it, that's definitely different than the average guest. It's, uh, under the canopy on a Saturday night. That's a pretty much experience. Um, and it's all, it's all good, right? I mean, it's a business, right? So we do hope that there is some sense of commerce and people are spending money in some way, whether it's a drink or a meal or, or gambling or, or, you know, something. And, and I think everybody is. Um, it's incredibly interesting to see the container park. I thought that was so cool. And uh, all the things. It was so neat to see uh, East uh, very far east Fremont, um, activated for life is beautiful. I mean, I, I think two years ago, shit, 18 months ago, if you said that 11th and Fremont was going to have thousands of people and <laughs> right. young, I mean, you would have, you would have said no way, not, not a chance. And that happened. So downtown's changing. There's no doubt about it. It's not a fad. It's going to take, and it's going to take a long time for it to be fully uh, saturated, but that's like any, uh, development for long-term success. And I'm just, you know, that I'm just so excited to be a very, very, very small part of it and just get to witness the change firsthand. So speaking of the locals, I wanted to talk to you about some of the smaller properties that you manage, which are uh, Lucky Club, Silver Nugget, Opera House. Just wanted to talk to you about what perspectives you gain from that. Is that like operating a, you know, is it like taking a strip property and shrinking it down by yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. So how do you I, do it? I had the opportunity to take over a Lucky Club in like early 2008. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, there's 200 employees in a 100-room hotel and in a bar and a restaurant. And, uh, you know, so it certainly had all of the components on a much smaller scale. Um, it was a small enough business where I actually could wrap my arm around everything, right? Um, and, and I was forced to because, you know, once the economy tanked, uh, we had to unfortunately um, downsize in terms of management. I did my best to keep as many line employees, but I couldn't afford the luxury of the, you know, all the directors in the, in the middle of management. So I really had to do a lot of that on my own. So it was an incredible learning experience. Uh, not only was the economy tough, but we were faced with a whole slew of other challenges. We had a major fire on the seventh day of operation and our EDR and surveillance room and offices and everything burned down. Jeez. So we had to quickly, you know, work with a company to get our, all these new DVRs for surveillance and new cameras. And we had to work with IGT to get a new slot system. I mean, so I got a crash course in development. Wow. And thankfully <laughs> those companies worked very well with us. Um, you know, we, we built a new restaurants. So that was a good experience. Um, but even today, now fast forward many years, and we've done our best to just still maintain an incredibly friendly, clean, safe environment. If you do that, that's, you know, that's the most important thing. And we've done that. But now it's time to uh, add a few things to, to, to the Lucky Club. So we're actually adding in um, Las Vegas' first um, Latin uh, bingo hall. Um, huh. we've, we've just uh, started doing room service to the restaurants, or to the um, room service to the, to the guest rooms. Um, we're completely uh, renovating the restaurant, which I actually built back in 2008 as kind of the sexy barn grill because we we're going to have kind of a, a North Las Vegas nightclub component, and we're now bifurcating it, so we're going to keep part of that, but build a restaurant called Grandma Lucy's, which is this you know, fried chicken, real homey, family-friendly uh, restaurant. Um, there's something else. Uh, we just added, you know, a couple other hotel amenities. So we're, we're really, um, you know, constantly looking to improve upon, uh, those facilities. And, uh, and it's not easy because, you know, while the, you know, North Las Vegas doesn't seem to be growing anytime soon, but we do need to invest in our, in our guests and, uh, you know, hope that we may, that they maintain uh, their loyalty and, over time, you know, those properties will, will continue to be uh, successful. How about the Little Macau Tavern? I'm interested in it because of the name, obviously, and it seems like it's a little, you know, it's a little bit smaller for an operation. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So Little Macau, I mean, what it, that's the, the gem of Chinatown. Uh, <laughs> that was a, a, a tavern that Jeffrey built, I don't know, maybe six years ago, and I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, start running it, um, uh, you know, three or four years ago, and um, you know, that, that too, we, you know, good service, kept it friendly, but never really wanted to change much. And actually recently there were some, uh, discussions of, 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 uh, rebranding or possibly bringing in, uh, some new components just to, to freshen it up. Uh, but it's a great location. You know, I, I think it's the best tavern in, in Chinatown and, uh, it's a beautiful build out. Uh, Paul Spielman built it out. I mean, it's mm-hmm. actually, it was quite expensive to do. And, um, it's a neat place where we're starting a, a food program where, um, uh, since it's our, you know, the, the best neighborhood tavern, we're going to offer uh, neighborhood um, uh, food options from around the neighborhood. I think we partnered with four or five different restaurants to uh, bring in, uh, so you can get, you know, whether it's Chinese food or Thai food or pizza, and we designed this very easy to uh, order food system. And um, so, you know, just just little little improvements like that are nice additions, and, and the customer really appreciates it. 
Cool. I have. Uh, I'm hoping I can ask you a question from my own experience. Um, I, I myself um, have stayed downtown many times, but uh, recently um, in October, I took a trip with my wife, and we stayed downtown. This is the first time since she was a little kid that she had stayed downtown instead of on the strip. And she had a fantastic time. She really loved it. But she, there were two things that she mentioned as downers, and I'm wondering how how big of a deal sort of the expect as new people discover downtown the expectation of certain amenities how that influences them. And the two things that she uh, mentioned were one, um, you know, access to 24-hour room service, and two, a spa. Right. So the Nugget has both of those things, but typically downtown those are um, more rare. Mm-hmm. Is is right. is as the sort of profile of the downtown customer changes and you attract new people, are you are downtown properties going to have to offer things they haven't had to offer in the past? Well, I can't tell you what other properties are going to do, but <laughs> I, I will tell you that um, we do have very, very serious plans of uh, building a spa, but something you'd find in a city hotel. You know, it's not necessarily a giant... Um, Resort spa, but something a little more interesting and unique with with uh, massage rooms and nail salons and whatnot. So that actually is on um, our agenda and something that we're, we're we're very serious about and may actually uh, roll into construction this upcoming year. Um, so I do think that uh, that is something that people are going to expect. Um, and secondly. Uh, you know, similar, I was just at the W in Hollywood, and they have a little place called Bliss, and it's really cute and interesting and unique, uh, so that that's sort of a, a facility. Sure. Um, then in terms of the 24-hour room service, I, I also think that's uh, absolutely a must. Um, today, um, the downtown brand uh, will have, uh, today actually you can order um, pizza rock to your room, I don't think 24 hours, but I believe up until 2 uh, we are rolling out uh, 24-hour food delivery uh, in Q1. So it was really um, just more of a wanting to do it right. And sure. when you open up all these restaurants, room services, like doing it to own restaurants. So that's something we are going to have. And I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's great to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, the other thing I'm wondering as far as uh, downtown versus the Strip goes and just some of these differences that we notice is nightclubs, right? So nightclubs have become... Uh, a such a huge, powerful force on the strip, right? Even the most ghetto strip properties have nightclubs, um, yeah. and of course, all the way up to the kings of the industry, like the excesses and the marquees and whatnot. Um, but I, you know, down, downtown, we've seen a lot of very successful bars. Um, clearly, people are enjoying them, but we haven't really seen a much of a nightclub explosion. They've seen some yeah. concepts tried, but no real home runs. Is is that a difference in customers, or something else going on there? Well. Um... That's a great question. Uh, some have tried and, and haven't succeeded for uh, whatever reason. Um, I believe that there absolutely is an opportunity uh, for a, ma- a significant like nightlife component. We're, we're going to bring that with uh, with picnic. Um, I think that, like everything in downtown Las Vegas, there's just um, a unique enough spin so that it's not the same experience you find on the strip. And I know we're going to offer that a picnic, um, but we are, you know, talking with uh, some very big DJs and you know, there's definitely going to be a, a major nightclub nightlife uh, component. 
Uh, you know, I just think it's, it's an interesting contrast, and I'll definitely be curious to see. I think a lot of people are very curious to see what you guys are going to do with Picnic, since it's such an interesting venue in terms of just its physical characteristics. So uh, I'm definitely curious. Uh, let's see. I'm, we've got a, I've got a couple other questions in a bunch of different categories. Um, but um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you that just that I that I wrote down right before we started was just the issue of security because unfortunately, you know, tragically, we saw that problem in, at Bally's a few months back where a patron was tragically shot and killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you look at casinos in in other jurisdictions like Macau, famously, you know, typically you go through a metal detector before you enter many casino floors. But that's never been the case in in Las Vegas. How do you guys think about security? And do you feel like? that we could ever end up in a place like that where we did have to take no. far more extraordinary measures? Uh, I, I don't. I, I really don't. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is, and God forbid, something does happen in Las Vegas. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's part of the reason that it hasn't is we actually have such great security forces in Las Vegas that are a deterrent and we've perfected the ability to watch the guests without them feeling like they're being watched. Um, part of that came from, you know, game protection and surveillance, uh, but security, you know, they're, they're watching. Um, at the downtown Grand, I can speak to that. You know, we have uh, an overwhelmingly large uh, property ambassador division. Um, I think we have at least uh, 40 property ambassadors at this point, uh, and they're around the property to... Uh, not only give the guests a sense of security, uh, but really to be an ambassador and be helpful and give directions and give information. And, um, you know, I think it's something we happen to spend a lot of, uh, have a lot of presence outdoors uh, so that that feeling of safety um, surrounds our facility. Um, you know, safety comes not only in, uh, the shapes of, of bodies, but in, in lighting and um, how uh, the property is, is laid out. So um, we hired a great new uh, property ambassador director a few weeks ago, and um, we have a great team. So it's important. There's no doubt about it. It's important. And there's always going to be an incident here or there. And, sure. Um, there's not much you can you know, do to, to completely uh, stop that from happening. Uh, but I do know that uh, people feel very safe uh, downtown today. If we talk about your experience growing up downtown, I mean, you really did grow up downtown. And I, I can't remember if I read this or if I made it up, but I, I feel <laughs> like uh, there was a story or at least a line in a, in a newspaper article at some point saying that the school bus actually came to the Golden Nugget to pick <laughs> you and your sister up. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I'm the old Portuguese there. <laughs> So, you know, growing up in the Golden Nugget, I think, uh, you know, some some folks might think that's uh, maybe a little bit strange, but I think many many people, especially listeners to this show, would just think that it must have been the most incredible thing ever. Um, and I'm just wondering, as as now an operator of one of these properties, you know, stones throw away, how does that feel? Yeah, so no, it was a unique and neat experience. And, and even though I was, you know, six, seven years old, I think I appreciated it. I, I really did. Um, I thought it was very cool. I used to put on a suit like my dad. My sister couldn't care less. She would uh, do car- cartwheels down the hallway and ring the doorbells and run, and we were very different. Um, but I-, I enjoyed it. I, you know, I enjoyed going to Stefano's and Lily Langtree's and all the old Gold Nugget restaurants and 
I remember sneaking in my Walkman, uh, you know, Watchman and watching it under the table at the family dinners. Um, of course, eating at the uh, famous Golden Nugget Buffet uh, every Thursday night to see my dad was just a part of um, the routine going up, growing up, even when I wasn't living there as, as I grew up as a kid. Um, it was a, a, a definitely a, um, a neat experience. It must be in my blood because my daughter's favorite book is Eloise. So <laughs> right. there you she, go. Uh, she doesn't know, but she thinks it's very funny that Eloise went to the plaza. So, um, no, I, I, it was um, it was a unique experience when I got the opportunity to focus on downtown again. And, and I, before I had the opportunity to come to the downtown grant, I actually did get a chance to make an investment in some real estate downtown uh, back a couple of years earlier. Um, so I've had my eye on downtown since... I really moved back to Las Vegas this last time in, in 2006. Um, and it's, yeah, it's got a place in my heart. You know? and, and, and even as a Las Vegan, even if I didn't have the earlier relationship with downtown, I know how important it is for a city to have a true downtown, to have um, uh, you know, a sense of community. And that's something growing up here on and off for the past 30 years that I know we never had. We're a city that's made up of the strip and strip malls. Um, you know, the hangout was the mall. And, and so I think being a small part of this redevelopment of downtown and making it a place that local Las Vegans can be proud of and spend some time in um, has, been, uh, has, has been a really neat experience. Uh, talking about your dad, I mean, you know, the, the listeners of this show are, I think, very familiar with his career. Um, uh, you know, working with uh, with Steve Wynn for so many years, literally, you know, helping him build this incredibly, well, two incredibly impressive casino operations. Um, you know, what, if you could, I'm sure that, that you could have a thousand answers to this question, but if you could pick one thing for us now, what would you say when it comes to your job now, what have, what have you learned from your dad in, in doing the job you have now? Yeah, there, there's no, it's, 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 there's no question Um his attention to detail. So I, I grew up watching him. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time in the hotels. I mean, my dad was there 24-7, so if we wanted to see him, we did. Uh, we, you know, we had probably, you know, dinner there, uh, you know, three or four nights a week, and we spent a lot of time, whether it was a little nugget or the Mirage or Treasure Island or, or when over the years. And no matter what position he was in, and as a kid, I knew he was in a, you know, important role and seemed to have a lot of people who work for him and treat him with respect, but he always picked up the napkins off the floor every time. He always picked the glasses off the slot machine. He always pointed out when the light bulbs didn't work, and it never changed. And I remembered that 30 years ago, and it still happens today. And it sounds so basic, but I just that's not a lot in a lot of other people's DNA. Also, I saw him, how he engaged the employees, first of all, whether it's the uh, valet parker who is always just in a very friendly way, but, you know, he liked the bullshit with the employees, but I also knew he was getting information, right, and getting to know him. But he, he, uh, but he had a true relationship with every employee, and then I also got to watch him, or as I got older in life, participate in, in the lunches and dinners he'd have with, you know, the executives and the relationships he built with them and the ability for him to build relationships, which were meaningful, but are also made the line of communication open, right? People just felt 
comfortable sharing things that maybe they wouldn't normally feel comfortable sharing with the boss. And I don't know if that, I don't actually, I'm almost certain that wasn't a conscious, you know, effort on his part. It's what came natural to him, but just what made him a great leader and operator. Yeah. That makes sense. So, you know, it's not something, it's something I, I try to emulate. You know, I am his son, so I think we have share some similar characteristics. So some of it comes naturally to me as well, and others is more conscious. And I am reminded that, you know, if I want to one day be as successful as he is, that, <clears throat> that that's the formula, in my opinion. So speaking of leadership, you were recently named one of the emerging leaders um, by the G2E in... Uh Global Gaming Business Magazine. I know this because I was too. And I was curious to talk to you a little bit about where you think the industry is going and what do you think your generation of leaders is going to bring to the table, how you're going to change the way the industry's run? Uh, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's a big question. You know, <laughs> I don't even know that... Um, you know, I don't know that I have any um, desire to necessarily change the way it's, it's the industry's run. If anything, I guess I have a unique opportunity to draw from my past, not necessarily my own experience, but the experience of others that I got to witness. And that's, you know, the hands-on approach, the organization that I saw Mr. Wynn build. And even as it got very, very big, it still really was run as the world's largest mom-and-pop business. Um, and then I also saw, and I haven't really worked for, but I've seen it from the outside, the giant corporate uh, corporations that run a lot of the other um, properties and the layers and layers. And, and I, you know, a lot of it's just you know hearsay. I'm, I'm not in the inner circle in those organizations, but it seems to be an environment that I don't necessarily want to work in. So maybe in a roundabout way of answering the question, I, I want to keep things a little simpler and hands-on and, um, you know, uh, that's maybe my goal is to not stray too far from the way things happened in the past. And, you know, it sounds cheesy, like, you know, going back to the old Vegas days and treating a customer like you used to be treated, and, but that's true. You know, it's yeah. true, and I, I got to do that in, in the local casinos, and I'm striving to do that in the downtown Grand, and um, that's, you know, what we're trying to do. Cliches are cliches because they're true, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, it makes it makes it definitely makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, it's, it's easy to say, and it's you know another thing to really um, to, to really uh, uh, um, go into action, and and it takes work. You know, look, it's not easy. I, I have very busy days. You know, some of my some days I have nine, ten meetings. I'm, all over the place and then going and hanging out with customers isn't always, you know, <laughs> the number one thing I want to do, but, right. but it's, uh, but it's important, right? I know it's important. It'll always be important. Um, so it just has to be done. When you get away from the day to day stuff, if you look at it, you know, back when your dad and Steve were building up Mirage Resorts, especially the industry was really establishing itself and, you know, this is when the American Gaming Association was formed, and you've got the idea that it's becoming legitimate. Um, what do you think the challenge, you know, I think, I think there's, gonna, there's a big change in the way the industry looks at itself now as opposed to then. And I think that as a leader in the industry, you're going to have to 
figure out, well, how does this industry run when it's not expanding to five new states a year and the revenues aren't growing by leaps and bounds nationally every year and kind of how, how it matures. So I don't know. I just, yeah. uh, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been our, I mean, it, 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 you're right. I mean, it got the industry, um, gained the attention of the investment banking world and a lot of people made a lot of money and there was such growth and the proliferation of gaming throughout the United States allows for, these corporations that get very, very big, and, and that's a great thing. It's a great thing for Las Vegas. It's a great thing for all those people involved. But and I guess similar to the last question, I don't know. That might not be my goal. You know, my, my goal is, um, you know, is, is to create uh, properties where, you know, we can make quick decisions, where we can, um you know, just build the, the best uh, hotel, the best experience uh, for for our guests. And um, I think, you know, gaming grows in different ways. Obviously, Internet gaming is uh, big today. Um, you know, I have a, such a great um, honor of, of um, you know, being a part of, of, of CIM, and, and there's certainly aspirations to, to look at other cities and bring the, um, uh, bring their ability to, uh, to, to truly develop, um, you know, to develop cities, and so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Right, right now, I got my eyes on downtown Las Vegas, and oh, I got yeah. big enough on right in front of me. So, <laughs> got to focus on the present. Yeah. All right, we're about to wrap up here and let you go um, because uh, it is Friday evening, and I'm sure you have work slash family obligations, <laughs> as we all do. But um, you mentioned. Real quick before we before we zip out, a couple more questions. Um, you mentioned internet gaming, and it's been in the news. Obviously, as it's starting to get up and running in in Nevada, New Jersey, and I know that you did some work on interact, interactive stuff at uh, for Wynn Resorts way back uh, in the in ancient history time. But yeah, uh, now yeah. now it's really happening. So I'm just wondering what's your take on how the, how those things are going now. I mean, we've seen um, you know Sheldon Adelson come out firmly against some of this stuff, but it's moving forward with the. Ultimate Ultimate Gaming folks doing their thing. I mean, what's what's? I'm sure you have opinions on this. Anything you want to share? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do, and you know, it was neat that I got to be a part of the first iteration back in 2000, and got to, you know, it's it's uh, all of the issues then, and you know, age verification and geolocation are you know the same uh, challenges today, and you know, although the technology has certainly advanced over the past uh, 13 years, um, it's. It's quite interesting to see what's happening in Atlantic City, and obviously, it's a, they're taking a little more of a, a progressive um, stance than Nevada and allowing uh, casino-style games. And um, it's going to be interesting. You know, I, I even um, a, a state like New Jersey, which is certainly larger than uh, Nevada in terms of population, um, you know, still doesn't necessarily have enough people to you know have a good poker game. Um, you know, I heard that there were, you know, seven or 8,000 concurrent users and all of the, uh, sites put together and right. not, you know, that's, you know, not, you know, a lot, certainly smaller than what you used to hear about poker stars with 150,000. Right. <laughs> so it's, uh, but it, it's interesting. You know, morally, I don't, I don't, you know, necessarily, uh, have a strong opinion. Um, but as somebody who, uh, likes to create experiences and likes to, you know, touch the guests, I don't think that internet gaming ever replaces the experience of the live casino and everything that comes along with it. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I it feel like, go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. I think even on the last 
Wynn Resort's quarterly call, this came up, and Matt Maddox was talking about it, and I think he was right. I mean, he said, look, the, we, they, Wynn Resorts, they're experts in building these you know, fantastic ex- customer experiences around, uh, they spend a lot of money on f- awesome buildings and, and restaurants, and you, 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 know, you can build the world's best website, or in the, in the case of the healthcare site, the most expensive website, <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's just not the same, right? You can't replicate that feeling that you get when you walk into a crowded casino on a Friday night. It's just, it's just not the same. Yeah. I, I agree. It'll, it'll supplement it. I mean, we can have the same conversation about online retail. And, sure. you know, and, and look, I'm a consumer, and I find myself shopping online more and more every year, even now for clothing, which I didn't think I would do. Although, if I'm going to go out and treat myself on that, you know, really expensive sweater, a really nice pair of shoes, I'm still going to the store because I, I want to try them on there. I want the instant gratification. I want to touch and feel them. And, right. you know, the online retailers have made it easier with the, with the quick uh, delivery and, and return and whatnot. But I don't, it never completely uh, replaces the experience, but it, it certainly does uh, supplement. Excellent. Dave, anything you want to ask before we uh, let Mr. Shore go? We hit it all. We really hit it all. All right. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much, and I'm available to chat anytime, and a pleasure talking with you, and your, uh, I hope your audience uh, enjoyed the chat, and um, let's pick it up again sometime. Very good. Thanks again. We really appreciate it. All right. Bye, guys. Take thank care. you. Great.